This episode is brought to you by Progressive, where drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average. Plus, auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Quote now at Progressive.com to see if you could save. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates, national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. So why do you want to learn a new language? I'll tell you why. Because donde esta el baño can be a very important question at times. You know, Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program, available on desktop or as an app. Fast track your language acquisition with immersive lessons designed to teach you to pick up languages in a natural way. I love the fact that I can go from my laptop to my phone to pretty much anywhere and learn the language of my choice. Not to mention, I'm bringing my communication skills to new heights. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a limited time, Star Talk Radio listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com slash startalk. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash startalk today. Welcome to Star Talk, your place in the universe where science and pop culture collide. Star Talk begins right now. This is Star Talk. I'm your host, Neil deGrasse Tyson, your personal astrophysicist, and I'm the director of New York City's Hayden Planetarium, right at the American Museum of Natural History. Today, my co-host, Chuck Nice. What's happening, Neil? Chuck, always good, good to have you. Love you, man. Love you too. Man. Love you, man. <laughs> <laughs> Today, we're featuring my interview with inventor, author, futurist, all around like crazy future guy, Ray Kurzweil. And we'll be talking about artificial intelligence, of course. And where does that lead? To discussions of the future of the human race. And our guest today is neuroscientist, Dr. Gary Marcus. Gary, thanks for being Thank on Star Talk. Thanks for having me. Oh, you, you Vanna White here with, uh, we, got, we got Chuck holding up his book, The Future of the Brain. Gary Marcus. So this is the uh, essays collected together. Uh, came right. out a couple of years ago. Uh, it came out a year and a half ago. It's about to come out in paperback. It has some uh, uh, Nobel Prize winners from a couple of years ago. Christoph Koch from the Allen Brain Institute. All kinds of top people talking about the future of the brain. What's, how are we going to figure it out? When will we figure it out? What it'll be like? And what is the future of the brain? <laughs> Really, I mean, really how's hard. The brain doing? Yeah, how we doing? How we doing with the brain? <laughs> the brain is working pretty well, but but our projects to understand it are hard. Well, you founded a company called Geometric Intelligence. That's right. That's kind of audacious. Right. You bring in the like the math in there. So, what what is Geometric Intelligence? It's a machine learning company. It's an AI company, basically. We you founded that I founded yes. um, co-founded with some friends, mm-hmm. and and we're inventing new algorithms, trying to learn more efficiently. So you think about deep learning. People are talking about all the yeah. time. That's all about big data or really big data and sometimes you can't get big data I have two little kids they learn from small data so I want to have machines that can learn as efficiently as kids and not okay so you're basing a machine 
uh, you're imagining a future where you can uh, create learning inspired by the way kids learn. That's right. Okay, that's good oh, that's because great. yeah, because you don't do it by the way adults learn because that you'll fail. Yeah, <laughs> but even even worse the way that computers learn. Computers are very inefficient, so they can learn like to recognize white males asking search queries in quiet rooms. But then you have somebody else speak into these machines, and they don't really recognize. I remember them. that news. Actually, that sounds like they've learned pretty well. <laughs> that's very specific. <laughs> it's a little too specific. That's part of the problem. Kids yeah. are much more flexible. Mm -hmm. that's, that's the mystery of cognitive science. Is why kids are more flexible than even the best machines. That you know, Google can put together. Well, Ray uh, Kurzweil, he's perhaps best known for uh, popularizing the concept of the singularity. I never forgave him for taking one of our words, mm -hmm. singularity from black. Totally people, ripping right? you off. It's, man. It, it, it's, it's, totally it's like a hypothetical day. Well, it's real to him and others who follow this line of thinking that around 2045, when artificial intelligence overtakes the human cognitive capacities, then the world will change irreversibly, like walking through a proscenium through which we can never return, Oh, where the machines well, that's a good replace the story. humans. <laughs> and he was the author of The Singularity is Near. Does that sound like apocalyptic? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> why, why didn't he just name it Run for Your Life? <laughs> <laughs> and he invented many things. Ray Kurzweil, he invented many things. I, I got the list here. Text scanning, music synthesizers, voice synthesizers, speech recognition technologies. He was directly of Google Engineering in 2012. Wow. Uh, he worked on the team developing machine intelligence. Uh, he also received the National Medal of Technology under uh, President Clinton. It's one of the two highest honors that the White House gives. One of them is a National Medal of Science. Right. And I was once on the committee to to award? To, to award that under President Bush. So it's a very highly regarded tradition that we now have in the United States. And He's author of seven books, five of which were bestsellers. He's got uh, 20 honorary doctorates and honors from three presidents. So the man, the man. Yeah, he's done some things. He's, 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 he, he, yeah. he, he, he makes yeah. me feel bad. I, I feel like I need a nap just hearing that. <laughs> I, <laughs> so I just want to hear, let, let's go to my first clip of my interview with him and just find out what exactly does he predict here and now. Let's find out. Going back to a book I wrote in the 1990s, The Age of Spiritual Machines, I predicted that... The by, Age of Spiritual Machines? Yeah. Okay. Uh, by 2029, computers would have all of the intellectual and emotional capabilities of humans, and so they would be spiritual machines. And, and conversely, we are spiritual machines, because our brains are composed of 300 million modules that recognize patterns. Each of those modules has 100 neurons. There's neurons have ion channels and dendrites and axons and basically you can describe based on physics. Mm -hmm. So our each neuron is a machine. Very few people would disagree with that. Well then, the 30 billion neurons in our neocortex is a machine also. And actually we can understand it. My, my most recent book, How to Create a Mind, talks about how that machine works. That sounds diabolical, how to create a mind. What, what's going on in your basement? <laughs> you can tell me, nobody's looking, tell me. <laughs> Uh, well, we are understanding how human intelligence works. I mean, th these things are brain extenders already. Yeah. We are the, smart, the smartphone that you point to. Uh, yeah. We're, our our brain is already expanded in the cloud, which is not a physics cloud. It's mm -hmm. a computational cloud. But we're smarter as a result. We will directly connect our neocortex in the 2030s to the cloud and expand it. <clears throat> the last time we did that. It was two million years ago when we went from primates to humanoids and we got these large foreheads. 
And we had the frontal cortex, which is where we do language and art and science and physics and radio shows. No other species does that. But it's not qualitatively different. The frontal cortex is actually ju was just an additional quantity of neocortex. The neocortex is organized in a hierarchy, and we took that additional neocortex and put it at the top of the hierarchy. And as you go up the hierarchy, things get more abstract. So things like music and poetry exist at the top of the neocortical hierarchy. And we're going to add to it again by connecting our neocortex to the cloud, to synthetic neocortex, and expanding the way we did two million years ago. Except this time, it won't be limited by a fixed enclosure. We'll be able to expand it without limit. Gary, what, can you summarize for me what is the difference between high-level computing and the human brain, and how is it possible to close that gap, erase that gap entirely? Well, I don't think we really know yet. I mean, Ray is talking with a lot of precision. Like, he says there's 300 million modules in the brain, and he says that um, all these things are at the that top of the hierarchy. It, we don't even know what the number is to count. So there's a lot of precision there that I, th I think is, is, is maybe not Oh, not my goodness. Justified. Wait a minute. I just, you know, because I'm a very polite person. I to say person. that diplomatically. I'm a very polite person, so I didn't catch that uh, precision meant bullshit. <laughs> Oh, that was that was cool. That was your word, not mine. <laughs> there's a lot. There's, of, there's a, oh wait, just to be just to be clear. Speaking of, of excrement, um, <laughs> Doug Douglas Hofstadter, the Pulitzer Prize winning yeah. uh, writer, uh, yeah, good old Escherbach. I loved his writings, and I still do. Uh, he was even harsher on it. He said that if quote. I'm quoting here. Okay? Mm -hmm. If you read Kurzweil's books, what I find is that it's a very bizarre mixture of ideas that are solid and good with ideas that are crazy. Okay. It's as if you took a lot of very good food and some dog excrement, <gasps> blended it all up so that you can't possibly figure out what's good or bad. By the way, that's tonight's special at the restaurant <laughs> I eat. Wait, wait, wait. Uh, so, so maybe dog excrement is a milder form of bullshit. bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> Just wondering. <laughs> so, please continue. Go on. Go on. I don't think I can touch that. All right, no. <laughs> I, I mean, I think. I listen to Kurzweil and I know the famous Hofstetter quote and I, I see a lot of stuff that's accurate and a lot of stuff where there's this false precision where he says it's going to be exactly 2029 and as a scientist I know that we have confidence intervals around everything we know it could be in this range or this range there's some kind of statistical uncertainty same thing with a number like 300 million and mm -hmm. Kurzweil asserts these things as fact and then he asserts some things that actually are fact and he kind of he, but wait he's he got more he, he's got more inventions than you he has way more inventions okay than so so just just let the record show. I'm just saying. But, but could that not be because okay. he's, you know, he's uh, one passionate, two, he's selling books, you know, and that sells books. When you make yeah, but very he didn't start life saying I want to be a bestseller. I, I I met the guy. He's he's really an honest he's, guy. He's into this. Right, right. He's he's, he's for real about it. He's this. not a he's not a manic cult leader where you look in their eyes and okay. they want to take over the world. He's really just a regular guy who happens to be really smart. Now 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 he goes beyond just what will computers do to match your human brain? He wants to put nanobots in your brain. In your brain. Let's find out where that goes. Okay. Computers are getting smaller and smaller. Uh, we'll have nanorobots at the size of blood cells that, that have computers in them that go into the brain through the capillaries and communicate with our neurons. We already know how to do that. You know, people with Parkinson's disease already have computer connections into their brain. So my view is we're going to become a hybrid, partly biological, partly non-biological. However, the non-biological part is subject to what I call the law of accelerating returns. 
it's going to expand exponentially. The cloud is expanding exponentially. It's getting about twice as powerful every year. Our biological thinking is relatively fixed. I mean, there have been a few genetic changes in the last thousand years, but for the most part, it hasn't changed much. And, you know, and it's not going to expand because we have this fixed skull that constrains it. And it actually runs on a very slow sub substrate that's a million times slower than electronic circuits. But then why invoke the brain-machine connection at that point? Who cares? You got the machine. Because it's a much faster interface. I mean, our fingers are very slow compared to... <laughs> okay. We could have, you know, millions of... I didn't know the world was going too slowly for you. You want to speed it up. Okay. <laughs> well, it is. I mean, how, how long does it take you to read... To read and write? The Brothers Karamazov, it takes, you know, months. So you're suggesting uh, that you can get these nanobots the size of a, your neurosynapses, let's say, and one will be preloaded with War and Peace, the novel, and would somehow inject it into your neurosynaptic memory banks, and then you're done. You've got it. Just like in The Matrix, they would load memory programs into you. Yeah, well, I mean, I, uh, we will connect to neocortical hierarchies in the cloud. Some of that could have pre-loaded knowledge. We could communicate with each other more intimately that way. But basically, we'll expand the size of our neocortex. Gary, do, they, do you guys do you guys go there in your book? We do, actually. Christoph Koch and I, in the epilogue, uh, talk about where neuroscience will be 50 years from now. And we think nanobots probably will be here. As part of in the brain. In the brain. But at the same time, we think it's a lot harder than, than Ray might be suggesting. So he, Ray is right that there are already neural interfaces where you can directly hook up to the brain and read some information. But then he makes the leap so you'll be able to do that in general. Nobody knows how to do that, for example, with language. So nobody mm -hmm. knows how to read out a sentence from... That never stopped him from circuits. making an accurate prediction. You say, nobody knows how to make a faster computer, but at the rate we're going, it will be faster, and sure enough, it was faster. So why is your argument an argument? So the hard, <laughs> Sorry. Well, we've, we've, that sounded we made, harsher than made I intended. exponential progress in hardware. Mm -hmm. um, he's quite right about that. No one would argue it. Um, it's not a law, so it's not guaranteed. that I mean, They call it Moore's Law, but yeah, of it's course. a trend. It's really Moore's, Moore's trend. Moore's trend, yeah, right. yeah. Um, but in software, that's not really the same. So if you think about AGI, artificial general intelligence, we haven't made exponential progress there. In chess, we've made exponential progress. AI is basically like idiot savants. We build some very narrow machine. We, it gets better and better. It's true for chess. It's true for for a lot of things, but general intelligence, like we had Eliza in 1965. I remember Eliza. And you could tell it your I, I problems I had a conversation with Eliza. Mm -hmm. Maybe even you believed That's it was real. That's how old I am. You back when you had to type, so I, so I said, Eliza, um, I'm not feeling well. And Eliza would reply, why do you think you're not feeling well? <laughs> it would be very sort of turn the question back around. And now. Find the verbs right. and nouns. Right. And make a, and it would be, sound like a, like a, you're on a shrink. Yeah, I was going to say she could charge $75 an hour for that. And now, 55 years later, um, you have Siri, and people have the same kind of conversations with Siri, and Siri is just as fake as Eliza. So Eliza didn't really understand what your problems were, even though Eliza asked you. Are and you Siri telling me doesn't Siri doesn't really... know what I'm really saying? <laughs> Sorry to break it to I you. don't know what to believe anymore, man. So, so we haven't made as much progress there. So some things are exponential, and some are like closer to linear. And, and Ray's not yeah, really... But when I talk to Siri, I say, Siri, where's the nearest Starbucks? It's going to find a coordinate grid. It's going to get an address. It's going to hand it to me. That's so right. don't tell me it's not thinking. You don't want to call it thinking. But if Siri showed up narrow 40 years ago, mm -hmm. you, your mind would explode, right? But So, mm, so here's, a, here's a point that he made sort of, you know, when I was just chilling with, with Ray. It was that every time there's a new kind of AI, people say, oh, it's not really AI. The real AI is that. Whereas anything we're talking about would have blown away anyone's concept of AI decades ago. 
So I think we have a moving baseline for how we're judging. I mean, that's a, a familiar argument. People say if, if it doesn't work, then it's AI. When it finally works, it's just engineering. And I think I think AI researchers have a right to, to complain about that. But I still think if you're talking about general purpose AI, we just haven't made the progress. So yeah, you can ask a few things. Like every time Apple rolls out a new OS, there's a new category of things you can ask. Sports scores, Starbucks, and so forth. But imagine if you have a kid. I have a three-year-old kid. Imagine if it was like every six months he rolled out a new conversational topic and really stuck to you know three others. Like I would take him to a speech pathologist or a neurologist. I'd be really worried. Well, maybe some of it is just it's missing the emotion. So what I really wanted to know is how does Ray get his precision and how he's calculating when the singularity happens, when we become slaves to robots. Mm. That's what I really wanted to know. He told me. Check it out. There's one thing that's surprisingly predictable, which is the pace of the exponential growth of information technology. The price performance and capacity of information technologies like computation, communication, now biological technologies like sequencing and also simulating biological processes, the amount of data we're getting on the brain, many different measures, not of everything, but of information technology, follow amazingly precise trajectories, and they're exponential. So I started with the common wisdom that you cannot predict the future, and I made a surprising discovery. Lots of things are unpredictable, but if you look at the price performance and capacity of information technology, it follows an amazingly predictable trajectory, going back to the 1890 American census. And one of the reasons you might be skeptical is it's not intuitive. Our intuition is linear, and a, a linear progression, that's our intuition, goes one, two, three. An exponential one, that's the reality of information technology, is one, two, four. It doesn't sound that different, except by the time you get to step 30, the linear progression, our it's intuition, is at 30. The exponential one is at a billion. Mm -hmm. So you, you're right on the curve as time goes on. This gives you confidence in your modeling. And so now you say 2029, what happens? So in 2029, we'll be able to match human intelligence in the computer. As we go through the 2030s, we'll be able to multiply our intelligence, you know, some number fold. You get to 2045, and according to my calculations, we'll be able to multiply our capacity for thinking uh, a billion fold. That's such a profound transformation. It's such a singular transformation that we borrow this term from you guys. Uh, thank you very much. Uh, That's really all I wanted out of it, was, <laughs> to, was to thank the astrophysicist for handing you this term. Yeah. It actually came from, you borrowed it from math, and it's an infinite level. Mm -hmm. But the most significant thing about a black hole in physics and singularity in physics is the event horizon. Going past the event horizon is a little mysterious. And so there's a certain amount of mystery about going beyond the event horizon. And that's the same, that's the really the metaphor. Okay. Going yes, past that event horizon is hard to predict because it's so transformative. So Gary, this this precise talk, it's very apocalyptic and it's and it's influenced people in exactly the way cult leaders influence people saying the world the end of the world is near. Well, I mean Ray takes a positive uh, <laughs> view of it. I mean he thinks the beginning of the world is near. He thinks it's nerd rapture we're all going to ascend. <laughs> yes. Just the nerds. Yes, exactly. Okay. So so I mean Look, you be an honorary nerd with us cuz you do the show with me. Well, I appreciate that cuz I'm I'm ready to go. Okay. <laughs> I mean we'll, we'll all want to ascend when we get the chance, I guess. But uh -huh. um, I mean again there's the kind of false precision. So so and first of all Moore's law is is, is um, goes back to before Ray was on the scene talking about these things. It's it's been around for a long time. But 
second of all, you can you can get seduced. So you he said think, since the 1890 census, uh, the information. There's data going yeah. back there. Mm-hmm. I mean, oh, data. Mm-hmm. I mean, a question about where the idea came from. But anyway, um, you could look at something like cloning. And if you were, you know, in 1995, you'd say it's going to be here tomorrow. We've got Dolly. And, and, and then the next thing you know, like, it's not really a practical technique. All, all the clones, you know, died early and, and so forth. We'll do more of that when we come back from the break. But also, we're going to find out what Ray Kurzweil thought of the movie Transcendence and what he has to say about the existential risks associated with AI. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you, like FedEx who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture-proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more... FedEx ground is faster to more locations than UPS ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. Whether you're a family vacation traveler, business tripper, or long weekend adventurer, Choice Hotels has a stay for any you. And that's good, because there are a lot of me's. Choice Hotels has over 7,400 locations and 22 brands, including Comfort Hotels, Radisson Hotels, and Cambria Hotels. Get the best value for your money when you book with Choice Hotels. Cambria Hotels feature locally inspired hotel bars with specialty cocktails and downtown locations in the center of it all. Hey, that's me. Radisson Hotels have flexible workspaces to get the most of your business travel and on-site restaurants. That's me, too. And at Comfort Hotels, you'll enjoy free hot breakfast with fresh waffles, great pools for the entire family, and spacious rooms. Hey, that's me, too. I guess I'm just going to have to stay at all of them. Choice Hotels has a stay for any you. Book direct at choicehotels.com, where travel comes true. Hey, remember when we did that show about the science of the golf swing? Well, let's take that to the next level. And that's because PXG has developed the Black Ops driver so golfers don't have to sacrifice distance for forgiveness. And the science proves it. PXG Black Ops driver is a breakthrough in driver technology. It's a complete and total victory in golf club engineering, unlike anything you've ever seen before. Black Ops drivers are adjustable to deliver a combined MOI of 10,000 plus for unreal forgiveness. Now that's ridiculously high. The higher the MOI, the more forgiving the club will play. So you don't have to square the ball perfectly for it to go straight and get distance. Add PXG's new advanced material face technology and you get incredible ball speed that pushes the distance to the absolute limits. More forgiveness, more distance, no sacrifices. PXG Black Ops Driver. Hit your tee shot straighter and farther. The proof is in the science. Learn more and get free shipping on all equipment. Go to pxg.com slash startalk and use code startalk at checkout. That's pxg.com slash startalk. Use code startalk for free shipping on all equipment. pxg.com slash startalk. Code startalk. 
Welcome back to Star Talk. I'm with Chuck Nice, co-host. Professional. Right. Ian. Yes. Reading a Chuck Nice comic. I love it when you say professional. I can't put that. <laughs> okay. I, I do get paid for this. I'm stealing money. Okay. I am stealing. Happy to have my money stolen by you. <laughs> well, not not from you. I'm saying when I when I do comics. And uh, to help us out here, because we're talking about Ray Kurzweil and concepts of artificial intelligence and the brain and the future and computers and the fate of the human race, we have Gary Marcus, who's a neuroscientist at New York University. Thanks for being Thanks for having on me. Star Talk. And so, you know, Ray's views reminded me of the movie Transcendence. I don't know if you saw that. That's the one that had Johnny Depp. Oh, yes. Yeah. I I don't know how many. This was uh, kind of a a takeoff on Lawnmower Man. Oh, is that right? Yeah, which was the Keanu Reeves version of Transcendence. All right. All right. You analyzing these way on a level that I I don't know. (laughs) It's, you know, it's so weird that I don't have a life. (laughs) (laughs) So I brought up the movie just to get his reaction to it. Let's find out where he goes. In the film Transcendence, that's what I imagined your scenario would describe. Just for people to remember, in Transcendence, Johnny Depp, the lead character, lifts his mind into the network of the world's computers, and that becomes his life, and his body's gone at that point. And it becomes dangerous, and that's a typical dystopian view of these technologies. I mean, that's not how these things happen. Did mobile phones or the web or the cloud just leap overnight? (laughs) It starts out at a point where it doesn't really work, and it's kind of very flaky, and people dismiss it because that doesn't really work. By the time it works, it's been around for a long time, and we'll get used to it. Okay, so let it be that, but now let's assume we get to that point. Is that a natural progression of the scenario that you have predicted? I mean, I think that's part of the human experience. We're already a human technological Society. Yeah, but in that case, he's not even a body. He has an existence in neurosynaptic. Yeah, well, we are going to be able to project our minds on, into virtual environments. We're already starting with virtual reality that's a little crude today, but it'll become very realistic. It'll ultimately actually go inside the nervous system so that we could, a couple could. They'd be like couple. Total Recall. In Total Recall, you. Yeah. you your vacation was just what they embedded in your mind. A couple could become each other. You can inhabit fantastic virtual environments. You can have a different body in a virtual environment. Uh, so we're, we're already separating, you know, physical reality from its consequences. Uh, and we're going to increasingly do that. So what, so, so, so Gary, tell, where do you brain people take all this? Where are you going with this or I'm, not? I had a friend who said that all neuroscientists are closet upload people, which is to say that all neuroscientists want to achieve immortality by uploading their brains to the web. But none of the neuroscientists... Yes, we knew that. None of the neuroscientists I know really want to do that. All the neuroscientists I know think that's wildly unrealistic. It's like 50, 100, 200 years away. They're going to have to... Now, wait a minute, because when you think about it, are we, without these little electronic impulses inside of us, these little synaptic jumps of electricity between nerve endings, uh, you know, out Outside of that, that really determines everything that we think and That's see it. Absolutely. and touch. And so if we can an experience if we can take that and recreate it artificially. Why is that two hundred years away? Right, why why wouldn't that be the same as being who we are right here? Just I'm feeling this, but I'm just not actually doing it physically. I gave you a confidence interval. I said fifty hundred, two hundred years away. I mean, I think it's somewhere in between. I do think it's possible to upload brains. I mean, if your brain is uploaded, that's a copy of you. So, not wait, so those you, are really weaselly error bars there. You know. <laughs> well, it's not somewhere between 
between 50 and 1,000 years actually, from now. Actually, I, I wrote a letter to the like Times, actually. It's like, <laughs> we'll be there sometime between uh, eight and 5 p.m. Tuesday and Friday. It is like cable. That's the point. It's like waiting for the cable guy. We Wait don't know exactly guy. when he's going to come. Wait for the cable guy. Go around saying he's going to come at 4 o'clock. We're misleading people. That's the point. But you must agree that if it goes the way he describes, there's tremendous utility to this. You agree? Yes. Well, I mean, it makes a copy of you, and it depends on how narcissistic you are for whether you want a lot of copies of you uh, r floating around in the cloud. It's not yeah, actually going to make you immortal. Okay, but fine. But let there be copies. But I'm also talking about we, there are a lot of brain disorders that brain people study. Wouldn't the, if we can map your brain... Can't we find out where stuff goes? Well, that's wrong? one of the things we talk about in the in the epilogue to this book, The Future of the Brain, is the difference between, for example, if you have a brain injury, maybe I can make a backup of your brain before the injury. I'll do regular backups of your Ooh, brain. That, I'll be that, able to restore cool. the backup. Hey. Like a time machine for the brain. That's like, pretty cool. But on the other hand, a congenital disorder. The Apple product that yes, you just plugged there, yes, by I the did. way. Okay. I'm sorry. I, I want to cut. You know, I, I just cut. realized that I did that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was like, oh, like everybody knows Apple time machine <laughs> right. is your backup. Time machine pre-exists as a thing. Right. Right. You know, backup scenario, right? There's okay. going to be some problems with the Ethernet. It's not always going to work right. Sometimes yeah. they're going to restore the wrong version, but at least it's possible in principle. On the other hand, like if you have a congenital disorder, maybe we won't know how to fix that because we don't understand enough about how the brain works. So even if you didn't understand the operation of the brain, if you simulated every molecule, etc., then maybe maybe you could at least do a restore, and maybe that'll be one of the the first applications. So is, is this is this the first step to immortality? It's 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 the immortality of a copy of you. I, you know the Woody Allen line about preferring yeah, to live on. It's, it's a pretty cool live on in his apartment rather than through his work. I mean, it's another way of living on through your work. That's what I'm saying. But it's a, it's a pretty cool copy of you because it's like you you're like a sim now, so you can oh. upload yourself your own avatar, your own avatar. Totally, like, I can upload myself, and I'm still there. Like if if you're able to actually upload the content, you'll be able to do roughly that long before then with with VR. I mean, you won't be able to do it at the neuron by neuron level, but you'll be able to make a pretty faithful um, avatar that'll get all. All the motion caption stuff, get your voice right, and so oh, forth. That's actually scary because you know there's going to be some guy who's going to make an avatar of himself as a girl, <laughs> and then go into virtual reality chat rooms and. It's already happening. Guys. Oh, right. yeah, isn't that kind that of already, already happening? happening? Is that happening? Plus, why do you know so much detail about that? That can happen. I have an active imagination. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, okay. So, whether it's AI <laughs> taking over us or or we controlling AI for evil, nefarious purposes, uh, there no doubt that there are existential threats that this technology can bring. And I asked Ray, of course, I have to ask Ray about this. Check it out. Technology's been a double-edged sword ever since it's ever been. Fire, right. I mean, fire kept the swamp, but burned down our houses. And every technology can be used for creative and destructive purposes. We have an actually a new technology that has an existential risk already, which is biotechnology. The existential risk from artificial intelligence or nanotechnology is off in the future. And we can debate, is it 10 years away or 50 years away? But it's not here yet. But the ability for someone to take a benign virus, like a cold virus, and turn it into a super weapon that make it more deadly, more communicable, more stealthy, exists right now. That could be done in a biotechnology lab probably a few blocks from here. So that was recognized actually 30 years ago. And they had a conference called the Asilomar Conference to come up with guidelines. How can we keep this safe and reap the promise without the peril? And they came up with the Asilomar guidelines. Those have been made more sophisticated over time. 
And they've worked very well. We're now reaping the benefits of biotechnology. The number of incidents, either intentional or accidental, where there's been harm from biotechnology so far is... near zero. It's zero. Yeah. Now, that doesn't mean we can cross it off our worry list because the technology keeps getting more sophisticated. But nonetheless, it's actually a good model for how to keep these technologies safe. Well, plus, you know, when we know that fire exists, and so we have fire codes, right? This is how you build a stairwell, and this is how exactly. you escape, and this is how... And, and this we is, have a moral imperative to use fire or artificial intelligence or biotechnology to overcome the problems, you know, that humans have. There's still a lot of human suffering, and we're using AI to diagnose disease and come up with new cures and clean up the environment to reduce poverty and... We have a moral imperative to continue that way while we, you know, have ethical uh, guidelines to keep the technologies uh, as safe as possible. Uh, so, Gary, you're 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 quite prolific on this topic in the popular media, even not only professionally. So, one of your articles for the New Yorker was titled "Why We Should Think About the Threat of Artificial Intelligence." So, this sounds very ludic. I'm, I'm no Luddite. Um, in fact, I, I'm just uh, launching an organization called AIforgood.org, um, which is about what positive outcomes we can get from AI. But there are also risks, too. And it's a trade-off, right? But are ethical guidelines enough to just guide this? Because we, we have ethical guidelines for everything else that could possibly kill us. Probably need regulation, too. I mean... Yeah, yeah regulation. But, but we do that. We don't say, let's not have airplanes because they could crash. We have regulations to make them as safe as possible. And they still crash, but we accept that risk. So... That's right. And, and, and I mean, we do some kind of calculus to decide whether it's worth it. And maybe that 200 years from now, people look at us and like, why did they use cars before they had computers in them to make them safe? They mm -hmm. lost so many people. And so people may look back at us now and say, the okay, ways in which we handled AI in the, you know, in, in the 2150, in the early days, were really pretty poor. Um, and so I, I don't know what the regulations are going to be. It's probably going to be iterative. One of the things that I think we all worry about is that the pace could be fast and we don't have enough time to take care of it. Do, but Do you share the total concern that the famous, you know, trinity of Elon Musk, Bill Gates, and Stephen Hawking have shared? No, I have a, I have a milder view. I mean, I think that real strong AI so is... Just to be clear, they, yeah. they, they're like freaking out. Right. They think uh, basically machines are going to take over and kill us all. Kill us all. Right. And then the future of the world is a machine, a world of machines. Right. A world of not... machines. Right. Right. I don't That's think... That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Honest the Terminator. The machines are coming. Okay. The, the honest truth is that Skynet is not not going to be here <laughs> tomorrow. have an Austrian accent. All the machines <laughs> will have an Austrian accent. Look at this. I'm going to kill you. I'm sorry. Go ahead. I don't think that the, the, the Schwarzenegger version of it's going to be here anytime soon. I don't think the c computers care about us so far. You get computers that are exponentially smarter at playing chess, and they don't give a shit about us at all. I don't know if I can say that on the air. Um, but at the same time, I still think we need to be worried. As computers get more and more embedded in our lives, they have more and more power to change things. So they're going to start driving our cars, for example. And if the AI isn't right, then there's a risk there. So it's really not about them taking over. It's about the risk of failure. Like, I, I see the real risk is, okay, all the cars are being driven by computers, and then all of a sudden we have some kind of magnetic pulse, and boom, everybody crashes all at once. More than they're just going to be like, yo, man, I'm not taking you where you want to go. <laughs> right, exactly. Right. I don't care where you exactly. want to go. I'm, not, I'm tired. An ornery car. <laughs> 
ornery car. Just <laughs> right. I would not worry about the ornery car, but right. I worry about security Se- and programmability. So okay, if you've ever got, programmed we're, we're anything, we're there it always that. work. Of course, security, programmability, we got that. But what of this quote from Nick Bostrom? Are you familiar with his, sure. with his writings? And he says here, the, the creation of AI with human-level intelligence will be followed immediately by an almost omnipotent superintelligence with the consequences that would be disastrous. We've, hmm. we've had human level intelligence without omnipotence for a long time. I mean, it's not the, the word immediate is is particularly perplexing. Uh, I put immediate in here, probably. That's sorry, that's my word in here. But, I mean, followed by, followed soon after. <laughs> yeah. And nobody knows how soon. Nobody really knows what's going to happen. I think it's worth spending. I can just unplug the damn machine. Yeah, I was <laughs> going to say, like, well, you know, people think about that. Where's my thirty out six? That's right. the end of the machine, like how that. How about that? One, it's one. Uh, Look, we shoot each other for right. less. We have, a, <laughs> we have a tremendous capacity for violence. That's we what do. These machines don't. They don't know who they are screwing with, man. Are you kidding me? I will bust you. <laughs> B- bust a cap in That's your in your silicon cap. wafers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, compute this, mother. <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> so, so wait. Get to get back to my uh, interview with Ray Kurzweil. I, I, I had to ask him what did he think was the most realistic AI film. Just he thinks about this. We all think about it. Let me get like the experts' view on that. Let's check it out. Of all the films that project sort of AI in the future, which would you say was the most realistic? Well, I liked her mm-hmm. because. There wasn't one AI, like everybody had their OS, their operating system, and Theodore's uh, human girlfriend also had a relationship with her operating system, and so that's more realistic. I thought it was unrealistic that that Samantha didn't have a body, because I think it'll actually be easier to provide her with a virtual body than to provide her with her human-level mind. So by the time we have Samantha's mind, we'll have, you know, virtual reality with, and she'll have a, a body. And, and then the sex market will completely drive that. I mean, the the sex market does. It drives the bandwidth today on the internet. Of, a lot of isn't it half the bandwidth of the internet is you know, porn, videotape, and even books. Uh, Gutenberg's first book was the Bible, but then there followed a century of more purient material. So. <laughs> purient material. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, we're in the future of the brain. We should not be surprised that sex drives decision making. Mm-hmm. As, as, it's not going to change. And uh, so, in early in, in another Star Talk, we interviewed Dan Savage, and he made it very clear something we all knew, but I hadn't quite put it that way: that sex predates humans by half a billion years. Mm-hmm. So, it's kind of the most powerful force on the planet. It's, it's a force of nature right. unto itself. So, it, how much of that is driving what the neurosynapses are in the first place, plus what we'll do with the power over the brain in the second place? Well, I think all of, of evolution is shaped by sex in part. I mean, there's no question about that. Mm-hmm. I think that in terms of are we going to have sex spots and things like that, for sure. And are we going to have... Chuck, Chuck, yes! Chuck goes double thumbs up oh on that one. Oh, my God, yes. It's I'm... actually an interesting question. Like, what's going to happen to society as sex spots become, you know, more and more um, authentic in some Fine way? Fine with me, as long as they program them not to get jealous, because I plan on having three. But wait, it, but... but here's a here... polyamorous roboticist. Okay. <laughs> Is that a sentence? You love it. <laughs> Paul oh, wow. But, 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 but I can tell you this. Whatever goes on, you don't want any 
You don't want to catch a computer virus. That's the worst kind. <laughs> well, you don't. You want. You don't want these things to cross worlds. That's what I'm saying. You cross right. species. Right. <laughs> I just fixed the gonorrhea. Now I got a computer virus. I got to deal with. All right. So, uh, but it's, I don't know if it's a centerpiece of your conversations or not. I mean, I look at efforts that are going on here. Uh, in my notes, there's a a campaign launched in 2015 for a ban on the development of sex robots. Now, why? I think that's silly. That's silly. Okay, I think good, we, got we that. should get rid of all the vibrators I mean, too. Like, why? Yeah, we already yeah, have call vibrators. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. I was gonna say we just don't have them for men. So why are they trying to shut us? Out? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, come on, equal time, people, equal time. And uh, there's a company I got a True Companion, a company uh, which has designed what they call the first sex robot called Roxy. Roxy with Somebody three X's, X's triple that. X Roxy. Yeah, it's, a three, it's got three Roxy. X's, of course. Yeah, look at that. That's so clever. Uh, of course, a uh, male sex robot uh, also in development. That totally useless. Male sex robot. <laughs> Completely useless. Every man is a male sex robot. <laughs> we are programmed to want sex and to have it no matter what, and you will never have to beg us for it. Or you know, are you, Okay, suppose you program a sex drive into AI, because then that's just making it more human. That would be honest, right? Well, I guess there's a question about what it means to program a sex drive into an AI. Like, do you mean you're going to program the robot to have sex with people or to actually want, want it? it? Yeah, I don't want it. I mean, I'm probably nobody. Well, if you want to be a real human person, right. you program it Probably nobody's going to bother with that. It's it, it's easier just to program it to do certain actions and so forth. Like, yeah, because I don't know if you need that no, level you do need of it. conscious you know reflection. Oh, no, here it is. You program That's it to what's like interesting it. about right. her, though. And that, like or want. It's t see, you got it. That's it. Because here's the thing. Otherwise, you're just going through the motions. And that's called marriage. No. <laughs> Nobody needs that. No, <laughs> no, no. There's a subtle, there's a subtle distinction here. There's a subtle distinction. So one of them is, you, it likes it, right? If it happens to it, right? But if it wants it, then it could be waiting for you on the street corner. Yeah, that's yeah. You're right. You know what? Talking we, about your we, tight ass I will not be ignored. <laughs> I'm still here. Exactly. I think I've calibrated the language now. The the real lesson of the Turing test, the famous Turing test, is that he, people are very easily fooled. You don't have to go to great lengths in order to fool a person that a machine is taking interest in them and so forth. And so it's not a growth industry in that growth industry to to solve these finer points. You you, you can get away with easier easier. Software. And of course, the, the the movie Ex Machina was basically. How to use sex yes. as a force in anything that happened in the storytelling. He taught her too well. <laughs> you right. saw that movie. I he taught her movie. far too well. Taught yeah. her real good. Yeah. Spoiler alert. More of my Spoiler interview alert. with Ray Kurzweil when Star Talk returns. There are over 75 million monthly Tubi viewers. That's more people than there are golden retrievers which means Tubi is more popular than using meat-flavored toothpaste. More popular than never figuring out what W-A-L-K spells. More popular than kicking your leg when a human rubs your belly just right. Tubi, it's more popular than golden retrievers. See you in there. Do you want to set up your child for success? Of course you do. Maybe you want to save money on private tutoring, or maybe it's just out of your budget altogether. Is this a big school year for your child? Like maybe they're starting kindergarten, middle school, or high school, or some other milestone. Maybe your family moved and they're starting at a new school. Is your child ahead? Not getting challenged enough in class? 
Well, we love that little smarty, but we want them to be engaged. IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids covering math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed to help them really understand and master topics in a fun way. Powered by advanced algorithms, IXL gives the right help to each kid, no matter the age or the personality. There's one site for all the kids in your home, pre-K to 12th grade. Kids can use it at home on the computer or on the go through the app on your phone or your tablet. No more grading those worksheets. IXL grades everything itself. And no more trying to figure out how to explain math equations or grammar rules yourself. IXL has built-in explanation videos. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And Star Talk Radio listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com slash Star Talk. Visit IXL.com slash Star Talk to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. If you went on a road trip and you didn't stop for a Big Mac or drop a crispy fry between the car seats or use your McDonald's bag as a placemat, then that wasn't a road trip. It was just a really long drive. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. At participating McDonald's. Welcome back to Star Talk. I'm with my co-host, Chuck Nice. That's right. And our guest, neuroscientist, Gary Marcus. And this is a tweeting neuroscientist, apparently. You're tweeting at Gary Marcus. That's true. M-A-R-C-U-S. So now I know you're out there. I'm going to find out what you what you got to say in the Twitterverse. We're featuring my interview with the inventor, futurist, all-around, deep-thinking dude, Ray Kurzweil. And so far, we've, we've been talking about AI and robots, but... I also brought up the topic of 3D printing during that interview. And I would hear what he thinks about where that technology is headed. Because if, if you can 3D print stuff, maybe one day we can 3D print uh, organs or, mm. or uh, a physiological forms. Let's just find out where he, where he thinks this will go. Check it out. Cool. What's the distant future of 3D printing? Are we going to be able to one day just print a human being and then... We're in the hype phase now, kind of like where the internet was in the 1990s. If you remember, if you had the URL dog.com, you were a billionaire. And then the year 2000, people realized, wait a second, you can't make money on these internet companies. We had the internet crash. It almost took down the world economy. And now we actually do have internet companies like Google and Apple and Microsoft that are worth hundreds of billions of dollars. It's going to be a similar story with 3D printing. Right now we're in the hype phase. There's interesting niche applications. The exciting applications, I believe, will be in the early 2020s. You'll be able to print out clothing. We need submicron resolutions. We'll be there. Then you'll have millions of free, cool designs that are open source. You can download for free and print out for pennies per pound. You'll also have a proprietary market. People are already, I'm involved with a company where we're printing out organs, human organs, and successfully installing them with some limitations in animal models. Within 10 years, I believe, you'll be able to print out human organs. Okay, Frankenstein. <laughs> uh, well, you know, if you... You just say that so casually. If you need a new some organ. Can, can, uh, you, can you print a brain? Is that in the future? You probably don't want to do that, because I think it makes more sense to emulate thinking non-biologically, because that's really what we're working on. But, uh, you know, if you need a new kidney or a new lung, you'll be very happy to be able to 
print it out on, on 3D printer. Ultimately, we'll be able to print out most of the physical things we need as we go through the 2020s, and it will revolutionize manufacturing. Now, Gary, you wrote an article for The New Yorker on growing brain parts. Mm-hmm. That's the equivalent, perhaps, to 3D printing a, brain, uh, a body part. Yeah. Uh, where, did, where did you land on that? I mean, it's something that's going to happen here. I agree with Ray. I mean, the only differences I have with Ray are usually about dates. I mean, he says these things with certitude. It's going to be in the 2020s. And we don't know because there's all kinds of complications about infection and, and how Actually, to get every clip right. we've played for you, you say, yeah, I agree with him there. But we began with you like totally saying he had, you know. No, I, I disagreed on the neuroscience. I disagree on the structure of the mind. And I disagree on the dates. I do agree we're going to be able to print brain, brain parts and other body parts. I mean, that's already happening. It's not to, you know, production level stuff that you can ship, but... Yeah, yeah just go to the it, local uh, hardware store. Right. Yeah. Pretty soon it'll be in vending machines. It, it will. <laughs> oh, look at that. Uh, lost an ear somehow. <laughs> yeah, it's going to happen. out of this... Mike Tyson yeah, bit off my ear. Yeah, let me, let me replace it. a drop of blood so they can, like, customize it to you or something like that. Mm-hmm. But, but, yeah, that, I think that will happen someday. Not as you know, soon as Ray thinks, but, but sure. I mean, the real question is not when is this going to happen? What, what's the world going to be like after all these things do happen? You know, I think maybe it takes 50 years for things he says take 20 years, but the world is going to be different. So what are some of the unintended consequences of these advancements? Because this is the thing that kills me about all of these technological uh, you know, forays that we make is that we go there and then we go, oh, wait a minute. I didn't realize that this was going to happen. So, you know. You did what? <laughs> right, exactly. You know, My favorite line, I forgot where I got this. It was uh, the last words ever spoken by humans ever what? is... Uh, Let's try the experiment the other way. <laughs> that's, that's it. <laughs> end of all of civilization. I like that. We don't want those to be our last words. That was the end of the world. The end of the world. <laughs> Let's wire it the other way and see what happens. Right. <laughs> we, don't, we don't want oops to be our last words. Right. I, mean, I think that's right. And so, I mean, I think a lot of the things that are on the table in discussion now are science fiction. They're not going to happen. But we don't know which ones are science fiction, which ones we need to watch out for. And so I do think it's worth investing real money. I got some data here. What was it? A printed body parts brought in nearly half a billion dollars in 2014, up 30% from the previous year, according to an article in Nature News in April 2015. It's already a thing. Yeah, I mean, not printing brain parts. There's an old joke about brain transplants are the one thing where you want to be the donor rather than the recipient. And that's, you know, a little bit more complicated, right? Uh, And let me tell you something. I I tell you where you can go get your money for that is the NFL. (laughs) They will gladly fund that research. (laughs) They are. The NFL is, you know, funding. You just play NFL with head bucking, and then when you get out, you just get a new brain. brain. Right. Yeah, there you go. (laughs) Well, it's more like people want to figure out how to repair your brain after a concussion. I mean, that is, in fact, a big industry, and, and people are making progress on it. Well, and and repairing the brain, right? Why get a new brain if you can just go in there and repair it? Right. Yeah, yeah. It's just a few neurosynapses that well, you want to keep your ideas, your personality, your memories, and so forth. I got so, that in the chip. Don't you, you know, get with the program here, right? We already got that on my USB chip. See, that's right? that's where Ray is confused about reality and possible future. <laughs> so uh, I know from uh, NASA, we I, I I hosted a panel uh, with some NASA representatives where they're uh, printing machine parts that you might not be able to get at the local hardware store when you're on Mars, mm-hmm. right? On a, on a long trip and you got to make a bolt or a fan blade or something, uh, you just print it. And those, of course, are just sort of dumb instruments. They don't have the complexity of an organ, a human organ. But I can what imagine... Matt Damon should have said in The Martian, I'm going to 3D print the shit out of this. <laughs> so in the future... In the future, maybe it's not about sending a medical doctor to to help your body repair its own wounds. It's about 
sending Hewlett Packard. <laughs> Hewlett Packard uh, is very big in 3D printing. A machine, <laughs> and you just replace stuff that breaks, and kind of the way they did in Star Wars, Luke's hand. They just, you know, you yeah, pick him up in the next scene, testing the the fingers, and he's good to go. Right. I think that will happen. Not 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 even a thing. So are you? So you don't fear the future of 3D printing? That's not a scary plight for you. Um, the, the version of it that does scare me a bit is 3D bioprinting, um, mm -hmm. which is also, I mean, we were talking about a piece of it now. Um, I mean, people are going to be able to 3D print, you know, viruses and things like that. And, and Ooh, um, that's scary. Ooh, yeah. I, I worry about what are the, we call them unpleasant actors, uh, to put it diplomatically, um, trying to do those kinds of things. I, went, I asked Ray, I, you know, as our conversation drew to a close and all of this stuff is on the table, I had to ask him, what are the best and the worst possible outcomes. Ooh. Let's see where he goes. The best, and I think one that is, we are actually following, uh, although people don't necessarily agree with this, is that life is getting better. We will, I believe, by you know mid, late 2020s, eliminate poverty. To get to 2030s, we'll eliminate disease. We're gonna dramatically expand human life expectancy. People say, oh, we're gonna run out of energy and other resources. We have 10,000 times more sunlight than we need for free that to meet all of our energy needs. And mm -hmm. there's uh, lots of other resources. We have lots of water, but it's, you know, it's dirty or salinated. But if you have inexpensive energy, we know how to, to clean up water. Uh, vertical agriculture, where we grow food in vertical buildings controlled by artificial intelligence, will produce very inexpensive, high-quality food, hydroponic plants. Which is already really happening. We have inexpensive, high-calorie food that's compared to 50 years ago. Absolutely. But basically, it's moving towards you know greater prosperity. So what's the downside? The downside is, I mean, there's lots of movies about the downside. <laughs> uh, I don't need you to tell me about what the movies do. All right. Where, you know, the AI is trying to destroy humanity, and it's the humans against the artificial intelligence or the robots. Or it's two groups of humans fighting for control of the AI. One thing that gives me comfort is we don't have one or two AIs in the world. We have two or three billion AIs. I mean, a smartphone is a, an artificial intelligence. It's, in fact, very intelligent and it accesses the cloud and makes it even more intelligent. And it's in billions of hands. So, Gary, what are your reflective thoughts on this as we as we wind down here? I think the thing that he left out is is income inequality. So I think that it's certainly the case that these new technologies, other things being equal, are going to make a more productive world. There's going to be more resources tapped more efficiently. But the, what he leaves out is is that the data is very concentrated in a few players. And um, so are some of the best AI techniques, um, patents and things like that, are, are, are locked up in a, a small number of companies. Well, that's so, an early problem that possibly could be resolved later because so many people have smartphones now. And even poor people have smartphones, right? So it could be, but I I think there's a whole issue about employment we didn't talk about today. But it's a um, homeless guy. Call, call me. Yeah. <laughs> Cell phones are going to become essentially free. Yeah, exactly. But but jobs are going to become scarce, and and that that's an issue that um, Ray didn't touch on. And then the other issue is what is the real probability of some risky scenario where the machines turn us into paper clips? I think it's very small, but it's probably not zero, and it behooves us as a species to make sure it comes as close to zero as it we can possibly make it. 
Okay, oh, that's cool. a right. rosy outlook. I like right, it. Right, yeah. Chuck, you yeah, got any? We're good to go. Right. Listen, I you guys had me at sex robot. And so <laughs> we I'm were good. good. Uh, because Let's this see if we can hook you up. all headed as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> In the right all, direction. It will go to sex robot and everything from will go from there. It will branch out. We will never see you again. <laughs> <laughs> Chuck, where? Anyone saw Chuck? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. I wish that wasn't true. <laughs> Well, I I went in as his biggest skeptic because I, you know, don't tell me that the world is going to be, you know, everyone always says the world's going to be different because of something they thought up. And I I do a lot of the reading of history. So does he, of course. And when I finally confronted him just to see how how sort of sane he was and how straight he was. And, and, And when he makes a prediction, it's based on a calculation. It's not just some dreamy stuff he thought up in an armchair, you know, in his lazy boy armchair. And so so I gained a level of respect that I didn't know was possible within me to grant to him. And so whether or not he's right, I mean, futurists don't have to always be right. If you're right one out of five times, that's an awesome track record. And he, I think he's right a little more than one out of five times. Unless it's a coin and you're flipping and, you know, one of the two would be better. But Yeah, yeah that's true. But if you have many, many, many uh, right. predictions and you see how they, how they play it, it, out. It's actually interesting stuff on Wikipedia that talks about his track record if people are interested in the data. Okay, excellent. Excellent. But I'd say I'm going to lean his way more than I was before. And I'm glad somebody's at least thinking about it because I certainly wasn't before I chatted with him. You've been listening to Star Talk Radio. Gary, thanks for being on the show. Thanks the future much. of the brain. I'm going to pick one of these up and find out where you guys are coming from. Right. And Chuck, this might be the last show we have of you because you'll be sex-botting <laughs> for all the future time. So that's our show. As always, I've been your personal astrophysicist. And as always, I bid you to keep looking up. This has been Star Talk. Have you ever spotted McDonald's hot, crispy fries right as they're being scooped into the carton? And time just stands still. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.